my head around was, one, I didn't know what the death of Christ actually meant. If I'm being honest, I heard about it, knew all about it, had no idea what the death of Christ really meant. And it was one of those things, you go to church a lot and people say a lot of stuff, they use a lot of phrases, colloquialisms. Nobody ever actually takes time and say, but by the way, let me tell you who Jesus is, let me tell you what sin is, let me tell you how you were born, and let me tell you how Jesus can save you from your sins. And I realized that some of you are like me. Some of you don't really necessarily believe that Jesus is risen. And so what I want to do is, in a brief sermonette, is tell you why Jesus is risen and why it is one thing for you to come to a head knowledge of that, but it's not until you come into a heart knowledge of that can you really be changed. So what I want to do for any of you who have doubt, I want to prove you wrong today. That's my whole purpose, okay? I want to prove anybody wrong who doesn't believe that Jesus is risen from the dead, and that's what I'm going to do. And after this, if you still don't believe, that's on you, not on, not on the, the facts, okay? So we're looking first in John chapter 20. So if you will, turn with me in John chapter 20. And we're going to start where I think we should start at, the resurrection. We're going to start where it starts, in the resurrection. And we're going to look at the very first verse of John chapter 20. And it says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and to the other the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went outrunning with the other together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went in the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. She didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, 
I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. Lord, as we get ready to really broach what is rudimentary for many of us, God, we realize that there are some in this room who doubt. God, we all know someone who can't wrap their minds around the resurrection of Christ, and I think that might be the problem. They're trying to wrap their minds around the resurrection. So, Lord, help me, give me the strength to dispel any doubt through your word that anybody may have regarding the resurrection of Jesus, and let us clearly explain what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, what it means, and how it saves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever watched any of the Sherlock Holmes movies, but I recently, by the grace of God and his providence, I recently was able to watch both of them, and I had never seen them. And in one in particular, there's this scene where there's this guy who is supposed to be hanged. And somehow he fakes dying. It's all a trick, and I won't ruin it because I've been told I always ruin movies, so I'm not going to ruin the ending, but... He's supposed to be some sort of mystic, right? And he keeps telling them, y'all can try to kill me, but I have these dark powers. I'm going to raise myself up from the dead. Sure enough, they kill him. Doctor comes, checks him out. From what he can tell, by all accounts, the man is, in fact, dead. And so a few days pass, and the rumor is that they had just seen the man that had been killed walking through the cemetery. Now, anybody in their rational mind could imagine exactly what happened next. Nobody started spreading rumors. Nobody started spreading lies. Nobody started saying, oh, this happened or that happened. The very next thing that they do upon hearing that a man had been raised from the dead is they go where? They go right to the cemetery. This is my first point today. For those of us who are struggling with the resurrection of Jesus, the fact remains that if there was a body, the first place anybody who heard of this would have gone would have been to the tomb of Jesus. So at least we have to wrap our minds around the fact that when those people got there, there was one thing missing that could have closed this whole case, and there is no body of Jesus laying in the tomb. That's a problem. Because it's easily disproven. A man didn't raise from the dead. It's his body right here. But then there are some other things that present a few other issues because maybe the disciples did steal the body. Maybe they did come in. But if you remember the full story of Jesus' crucifixion and burial because those Jewish leaders were afraid that he was actually who he said he was, they went to the Roman officials and they asked them, can you set a guard in front of his tomb? Now, because we don't always understand what that means, we probably think that a guard was literally a guard, but a guard could have in it up to 60 people in it, okay? So there could have been 60 people guarding that tomb. But not only that, they said, let us seal the tomb with a Roman seal to ensure that if anybody gets into this tomb, we'll know. And obviously, we know what happens. Jesus is raised from the dead. 
What do they say? They say, go around and tell them that while you were sleeping, while were you sleeping, all of you simultaneously were sleeping? By the way, this boulder which needed multiple men to roll in front of the tomb, you mean to tell me you were in such a deep sleep that you didn't even hear this giant tomb being opened? Not only that, you didn't hear men carrying a grown man's body out of a tomb. Listen, the rational mind, while we hear the facts, we are going to wrestle with this because, as it stands, none of us has seen the body. But that's what actually should help us believe because none of those other people saw a body either. They went looking for a body, and there was nobody. And just to be clear, it ain't that easy to hide a body. But this is the accusation. But then there are some other interesting details that we have to see that we have to broach regarding this account. By the way, where are the disciples? Listen, if you're making up a story, I don't know about you, but I know about me. If I'm making up a story, I'm not hiding nowhere. I'm the first one at the tomb. Oh, man, I knew Jesus was getting back up. Where were you, Brandon? I was at the tomb. I about resurrected with him. That's how close I was. I knew it was happening, so I made sure I was there. But you don't get the good details of the disciples. Where are they? Well, if you remember, the disciples, afraid of what was going to happen to them, they're hiding. If you're making a story up, you probably don't include the fact that you weren't even there to begin with. See, in the Bible, we don't get the pretty details that we often like to present about our own selves. We get the real, raw truth that they, at that moment, were just like us, cowards. But not only that, it's, it's going to keep snowballing for you, by the way. If you would have anybody arrive at the tomb first, in that day and time, it would not be a woman. Because the last person you would want to say that you heard this from would be a woman. But that's who was there. And she was going to get those men to open the tomb so she could put spices on the body of Jesus. And what happens? She doesn't even see that Jesus is not there and thinks, oh, he's risen. She thinks somebody stole his body. Y'all, there is so much depth to this because even Mary Magdalene, as she looks into the tomb, doesn't believe that Jesus is risen. It's not until she sees Jesus that she declares to John and Peter and the other disciples, I just saw Jesus. But then look at the intricate details that it actually includes, things that you normally don't include if you're just making a story up. It describes that Peter and John are running together, and John is ahead of Peter. But before he got into the tomb, it seemed like he was afraid of what he was going to see. Peter, being the bold disciple, runs in past him, and it says that John saw the linen cloths and believed. Peter saw them, and he believed as well. Now, we probably just skate over this because, look, at this point, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is unremarkable to us. We believe it. 
But let me tell you why that is so significant, that they saw his clothes lying there, and that was enough for them to believe. You remember, Jesus on that cross, and we get an image of Jesus that has him clothed, but Jesus probably wasn't clothed on the cross, okay? But he didn't get clothed until Joseph of Arimathea takes him down and says, I'll put him in my family tomb. And what he does in that moment is, he wraps him in a shroud. And basically that shroud was there to give him some dignity in death, which he didn't have in life. So he wraps him in this shroud and then he puts a cloth over his face. What is it about the grave clothes that makes them believe? Well, they realize two things. One, when they enter the tomb, The grave clothes were still sitting there as if Jesus had passed right through them. So maybe initially they thought, well, he's a spirit. Maybe Jesus did something with his body and his spirit was raised. But then there's another problem. It mentions that the face cloth of Jesus was taken off and folded in another place. That means that Whatever Jesus did, he ain't no ghost. Spirits don't touch stuff. Ghosts can't feel nothing. Yet Jesus passes through the grave clothes, but to let you know that it was a physical body, he folds the cloth and lies it in another place. How do we know that it was a physical body? Because it says that Mary was grabbing on to him. Let me tell you why that's significant. Because many people have probably never thought about the fact that Jesus' resurrection was a physical resurrection, but that's really important for us. Many of us in this room hold this idea, whether it is biblical or not, we hold this idea that when we die, we become immaterial. We go from physical to spiritual, and that is the way we will spend the rest of our eternity But the Bible says that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. And he wasn't raised to a spiritual resurrection. He was raised with a physical glorified body. And if you read the Bible, the hope for believers was never to go to heaven and be immaterial. The hope was to be in the resurrection. What does Martha say when Jesus says, you'll see your brother again? She does not say, I'll see my brother again in heaven. That is not what she says. She had the perfect opportunity to say it. She says, I know that I'll see my brother again in the last day in the resurrection. Or when the Jewish leaders are coming to Christ to confound him and they say, let's say a woman is married. And let's say every one of our husbands dies. I'm going to tell you how you have probably heard that text before. You have probably heard that text say, there is no marriage in heaven and no marriage given in heaven. But that's not what the text says. You know what they asked her? Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? The resurrection is the hope of the believer. And if Jesus Christ is raised to a physical resurrection, and our hope is that we will be raised in a physical resurrection to dwell without sin on a new earth. 
But you see, that can't happen if Christ be not raised. How do we know that he's actually raised from the dead? Well, let's let's go forward. Because you may argue maybe John and Peter had a bias. Maybe they were drunk. Maybe they were so upset about what had happened that they created the illusion that Jesus raised from the dead. You can argue that. But there's one person, every time I start to doubt the resurrection of Christ, there's one guy who throws a wrench in that. You know who that is? It's Paul. Paul throws a wrench in it. And I want you to hear what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. Because he's addressing it head on. He says, now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some of them have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, As to one untimely born, he also appeared to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but it was the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Listen to what he says here. He says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by one man came death, by man also comes the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Let me tell you what Paul is saying here. See, if Paul had just told us, 
I heard that Jesus was raised from the dead, then I might have a point against Paul. You heard of it, but you, you never saw it. So he begins, he said, it was first delivered to John and Peter. They saw him. Then it was delivered to James. He writes, he says, and then Jesus appeared at one time to more than 500 people. And at that time he was writing, he said, by the way, a lot of them will still live and go ask. But then this is that wrench that he throws into everything, because if he had stopped right there, I'm like, all right, it's cool. You believe it. You heard about it. But then he says, but he also appeared to me. And every time I want to doubt, I wrestle with that. Y'all, Paul did not go from poverty to prosperity because of the gospel. He went from prosperity to poverty because of the gospel. And by the way, yeah, people die for what they think is true. Nobody dies for what they know is a lie. Every one of them had a moment, and if they were lying, the moment they are threatened with jail, they you know what? <laughs> I ain't seen no Jesus get up. The moment they are threatened to be beaten, to be punished, you know what? It was a lie. We made it up. We took his body. We hid it. But they didn't do that. Every opportunity they had to just confess that they were lying, they doubled down on the fact that they had seen Jesus risen. And it would make sense if they went to this great prosperity, but every single one of them suffered as a result of that testimony. Peter requests to be crucified upside down. It don't really work if you do it that way, but he was killed. His wife was killed before he was. John is exiled to the island of Patmos. Paul spends the last years of his life beaten to a pulp in prison, and all he has to say is, I made it up. I didn't see Jesus before they chopped his head off. All he had to do was say it was a lie. I'm reminded in Acts when Peter and John are told to stop preaching in Jesus. Like, if you had seen what we have seen, we can't but preach of him. Y'all, Jesus is risen. He's risen. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? What is the gospel? The gospel is this. You're not the hero in your story. Contrary to what you believe, you are not good. You are not decent. You are not perfect. You are not special. You are not unique. The only goodness that you have is that every single one of us is created in the image of God. But that image, y'all, is broken and distorted and hideous because it's marred by sin. Every single one of us in this room is born broken. And the only hope that we have for wholeness is that Christ dies for us. We were born with a sin debt. Everybody in this room knows exactly what debt is. From the minute we were born, we had a debt that we had accrued because of our original parents, Adam and Eve. And you know what happens to that debt? 
It gets passed right on down to us. But not just their debt. Every single one of us, every day we live apart from Christ is accruing interest on that debt. Because we all have our own sin guilt. And there are two ways that the wrath of God will be satisfied. Either Jesus has paid the final price for your sins because he has no sin debt, or you're going to pay the price. And because you have so much sin debt, your life is not good enough to pay that debt off. And so in order to satisfy the wrath of God, You'll have to spend an eternity in hell because you have too much sin debt to pay off your debt. But Jesus, in offering himself, the Bible says, the man who never knew sin, he became sin. So that those of us who never knew righteousness could be the righteousness of God. Y'all, if Jesus Christ has not atoned for your sins, you have no hope. You have no hope. If you don't know Jesus, then I hate to break the news to you, but this life, this is as good as it gets for you. What a miserable life. But if you know Jesus, this is as close to hell as you'll ever be. This is as bad as it gets. There is for us who believe in him coming today where this sinful world will be thrown away. And he will establish the new heavens and the new earth. And we will resign their physical bodies for all of eternity to enjoy him without the presence of sin. Y'all, in this, we hope. What is the core of that hope? It's that Jesus is risen. It really happened. And so I want to pray for anyone who is in this room who doubts, for anyone in this room who just doesn't believe, I want to offer a prayer. And then if you know, hey, I've, I've been in church, I've been keeping up with the facade, but I thought that it was my good works that saved me. I want you to realize that if you had works good enough to save you, you wouldn't need to be saved in the first place. But as it stands, all of our righteousness, apart from Jesus, is filthy. Let's pray. Lord, it is easy to trivialize your resurrection. It is easy to make light of this day to make it about eggs and rabbits and fertility. But God, that's not what it's about. It is easy for us to come put on our Sunday's best and go live our life apart from you the rest of the year. But Lord, help us see what the power of your resurrection actually is. God, help us see and know that apart from you, we have no hope. But in you, God, while we suffer death and sickness and loss and sin and grief, 
There is coming a day where all of those things that break us will be made whole. God, and for those of us who know you, we long, we earnestly long, we groan awaiting that wholeness. God, I pray for anyone in this room who does not know you, that you would discomfort their life, God. God, shake them. Let them hear the truth of the gospel today that you sent your son to be the penalty to absorb the wrath of God so that we might have eternal life. Lord, there's nothing we can do on our own. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Help us see that. God, and I pray that for those of us who doubt, remove all doubt. Let us walk with the assurance of our salvation that if you have saved us, you have sealed us until the day of Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.